punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hello there. Welcome to Nesson Bruins Podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, how are you? I'm good. Hello there, to use a term of yours. Ah. Sure, sure. Uh, hola, aloha, all of it works. Um, it's hockey. This is weird. Uh, like, kind of feels like April all of a sudden. It which does. Actually, the weather, is a, too. Yeah, and it is a, a fitting uh, development in this hellscape that is the year 2020, uh, that it feels like you know we've made some progress regarding professional sports, at least. Uh, but it also feels like time hasn't moved at all. We're just again. I, I I've been harping on this for a while. The 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 mental effects and just the process of time uh, is going to be a fascinating study years from now. Because some days it feels like we were just flying by. Some days it feels yeah. like we haven't done anything. Uh, the news is almost always bad, so that kind of keeps us down. But at least we have hockey. Uh, and you know, after kind of dinking around in the uh, the playing rounds and the the qualifying and the the round robin i guess it's starting to feel like hockey uh and the bruins look good uh we're here to yeah. talk about the bruins uh as we get set to or as we record this as we are currently recording uh boston has a 3-1 series lead after a wild game four win uh last night we're recording this on whatever today is tuesday which just goes to my point um so the Bruins have pushed Carolina to the brink of elimination. Uh, they have a chance to wrap it up Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And then there is – game six is Thursdays, right? That's correct. It's a back-to-back yeah. for four and five. Right. Which or is, five and yeah. six, rather. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> That's life. Um, so I guess we can just – you know, we'll get into the Tuka Rask stuff. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest – individual story of the entire weekend or the entire week entire series so far we also have the david Pasternak things to get to uh we'll touch on some lineup decisions uh you know maybe talk about a couple guys who have really stood out so far uh but let's just start general thoughts through four games of this carolina series uh and where you stand what has stood out to you about the bruins what's impressed you what uh looks like it could be a problem just what are your overall uh thoughts takeaway thoughts well, I'll start with this. Last week when we recorded, before the series started, we said the Bruins would look like goofballs if they came out and got waxed by the Hurricanes after saying, oh, we're treating the round robins as exhibition games, yada, yada, yada. I think they really were just dinking around, to use yeah. the term that you just used. Like, the, the contrast was stark, and you could tell relatively quickly into game one, it's like, oh, wow, like, this is a different team. This looks – like the motors running a little bit more than during the round robin games. So I guess to a degree, credit to them for being able to turn it on as quickly as they could. Uh, right now, though, you know, with the Bruins a win away from moving on, I'd say that this, if, if they win this series, it'll be more impressive, I think, than last year's sweep of that. Um, and, and I think part of that is just because they – you consider the layoff and the fact that they didn't take the round robin all too seriously. And I think Carolina's a better team this year too. Now with Andrei Svechnikov out now for the rest of the series, that changes things a little bit, but you know, even when 
the Bruins haven't been the better team in a particular moment or for a particular stretch of time during the series. They haven't looked outclassed. And I thought that that would be one area where, given what we had seen during the round robin, my thought was we might run into a couple situations where the Bruins just look completely overwhelmed by Carolina. And that really is yet to be a thing, except for maybe some very, very rare circumstances. Um, But a lot of the questions, and it's weird how this has worked for the Bruins all year too, right? How they always have these lingering questions and then somehow out of the clouds, it gets answered, right? So like the second line had been a disaster all season. And then out of nowhere, like David Krejci's back in 2011 form and Jake Dabrowski is scoring these, you know, magnificent goals and Andre Kasha looks like he's played with those two guys for half his career. And it's just, it's weird how that stuff works out. But as we've been saying for a while, a lot of the Bruins success is predicated on those things being answered. Right. So a lot of them have a lot of those potential quandaries have become anything, but really once they've gotten into game action. And so the initial takeaways is, and I don't want to say that they've lucked out, but a lot of the things that they've needed to go right have gone right. And I think we've seen, again, or gotten the reminder what the Bruins are capable of when all those pieces fall into place. Yeah, I think game four is a pretty good encapsulation of what you just said, where it was they came out and they were buzzing. The Bruins were uh, – they they really carried much of the play in, in the first. Was it the first? Yeah. Where they had that power play, or was that the second period? I'm already. I forget. I was drinking water too. Yeah, the most I know. Uh, <laughs> they had, but they had a dominant power play there where they scored, or they didn't score. They did everything but score, uh, and and they were really carrying the play up until that point. And then Carolina got a jump there, uh, and that's actually I think when Carolina built the lead to two nothing. So that must have been in the second period. Um, and they were buzzing too. The the Carolina had kind of wrestled a bit, wrestled away the the momentum, and um, they looked like you know. I, I said before the series, I said Bruins in seven, but there're going to be some nights where it's like this just is not going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of what you're saying, but I think it was just going to be more of a slog than than maybe you know you would think. Um, and it looked like they were headed for that. It looked like you know, a bona fide like three one loss or something. Um, and then they came out in the third period, and it's like this just looks like a completely different team. Yeah, and they look even better weird. than they did early in the game when they were playing well. So like that, we saw in the the third period, like the the apex of the Bruins. Like that's as good as they get. Um, they were it, like they're. I there was one point where I was like, guys are jumping in the air right now. Like they're yeah jumping, literally jumping around to knock down pucks. Uh, everything was you know Carolina clearly was on their heels. I mean, the Bruins outshot them, what, like 15 or 16, nothing to start the period. Uh, you know, the the skill was there. The, you know, the work, uh, the workman-like uh, attitude is there. Like, it was all just clicking at once. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, still pretty good. I think that's kind of what the, the risk they ran, essentially taking it easy, for lack of a better term, in the round robin is like, so this might come and go. Like, because you're just right. not completely in line or in sync yet. But – you're going to see it probably more often uh, and more regularly as this thing goes on. And that's been the case too. Like they looked terrible against Columbus in the exhibition. They looked a little bit better to start the round Robin. They got better through all three of those games, although marginally. Uh, and then they looked pretty good at, at times for the, through the first three and a half games. And then really just, I think they finally have hit their stride 
And, you know, the big thing is going to be continuing that in this series, uh, especially as Carolina makes adjustments. But, I, you know, I wonder, you know, maybe Carolina has given them their best punch already, especially losing Sveshnikov and maybe even Stahl. Uh, who knows what Stahl's situation is. The goaltending continues to be a mess, as we all expected. So, you know, it really feels like, you know, the Hurricanes are just leaning on the Bruins now and, at, you know, waiting on them to, to kind of put them out of their misery. But we've seen already in this series, the you know, how good the Bruins can be. It was a, a good reminder if you're a Bruins fan to be like, oh, yeah, they, it's still in there somewhere. Yeah, well, and I think, too, one of the reasons – I at least had a little bit of pause about just picking the Bruins outright was because the things that Carolina does well is exactly what would take advantage of a team like the Bruins who had just stumbled around for four games, right? Like they're very hard on the four check. They pressure you in the, in your defensive zone when you're trying to clear the puck. We've still seen like that that's worked. Um, Like they've done a fine job with that. They've got a lot of very good skaters. Like they're a fast team. Um, and so for a team like the Bruins that was having trouble moving the puck and looked a little stagnant offensively and some of the, you know, passing was sloppy. It just, it looked like a recipe for disaster, but to get back to what we said, like for whatever reason, they were able to just like click and turn it on and off they went. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of where it's at right now. Like they, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how that game starts, uh, Wednesday because you're going to get Carolina's best shot. Uh, and, you know, I actually kind of thought that would happen in, in game three. And I was kind of surprised to see that, you know, and maybe this is a, maybe this is kind of where you feel the neutral ice thing. Like if that game's in Raleigh and they're down two one, you know what I mean? Going into that game, you probably get like balls to the wall, you know, trying to run every guy into the third row, like on every loose puck for the first five minutes, you know what I mean? One of those starts of the game. And I was surprised not to see that from Carolina uh, in game three. Maybe they have it in game four when they're – I got my games confused. Sorry. Game – I thought they were going to have that in game four. They didn't have it. Maybe they have it in five. Uh, I mean, they're going to need it. But, yeah, it just feels like this maybe is – I mean, I'm I'm ready to declare this thing done. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that last night when I was watching, you know, the the Hurricanes tinkle down their leg was – how do you come back from that, right? Like, when when DeBrusque scored and then Clifton had the tying goal, my thought was, if the Bruins win this, this series is over. Like, and that's, that's more of a compliment to the Bruins than it is an indictment of the Hurricanes. But at that point, it's like, you know, Carolina's goaltending situation's a mess. They might now be without their captain. They're already without one of their best wingers, if not their best winger. And – you know, they just gave up a two-goal lead in an absolute must-win game. And instead of having the series tied going into game five, you're down by two games and pushed to the brink of elimination. Like, I just see no way that they turn it around now and make this. Maybe they make it a series. Maybe they force it to seven games. Who knows? But, like, that is such a demoralizing way to go when you consider all the bigger factors at play than just – what the score of that game was going to be and the way that they lost it is such a roundhouse kick to the nether regions that it's like, how, how do you get back on track after that? Yeah. Like, and you got to know too, at this point, like even if you have a one, two goal lead at any point, like it's a matter of time before they wake up. If, you know, if there's, 
you know, if it's a lingering or, you know, they, they've seen that what the Bruins are capable of and they have to imagine that that's coming at some point. Um, and that's, you know, well, and I, I, I think the Bruins best and like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And as far as game five is concerned, I just went back to check to make sure I wasn't crazy, but I, you know, last year, the Bruins in the clinching game beat the hurricanes for nothing. And I remember watching that third period and it just feeling like the game was long over. The Bruins didn't score until the second period. But my thought is that if the Bruins jump out to a quick lead, given the way that game four ended and then where the series stands right now, like that will probably be all she wrote. Like I can see the Bruins taking anything over a one goal lead. It's probably going to be safe. Yep. Yeah, and then, you know, if the Bruins do take a one-goal lead, it's going to be on uh, Yaroslav Halak to to hold that down. Uh, I guess we can get to the – really the big story. A So, so we haven't la- we haven't spoken since Tuka Rask's post-game comments, right? That was after game no, that one. That was after game two, I game believe, two. which was Thursday. Yes, yeah, sure, yeah. So, he said doesn't feel like the playoffs. Um said you know was it he he said he wasn't really concerned about the results uh kind of admitted that he still hadn't found his his game shape um it on the surface it seemed like Tuka being Tuka just downright honest almost to a fault uh you know but credit to him for for speaking his mind so I guess it probably shouldn't have been that surprising when on uh, Saturday 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 morning, I was sitting on my couch and I got an email from Bruins PR saying Tuka Rask has opted out of the playoffs. I was like borderline stunned, and I shouldn't have been given what happened in, uh, you know, two nights earlier. But you know, the Bruins have given Tuka Rask their full support. He has to go home and, and take care of business at home, um, and that's kind of where it's at. Obviously, it's uh, our first concern is the you know the health uh, and safety of his family. Uh, that's the most important thing we were all uh, kind of uh, uh, thinking about, and um, obviously we support uh, Tuka's decision. Um, there is nothing more important than your family. Um, you know, at this point, we uh, want to make sure that uh, everybody else respect uh, his privacy, and uh, you know, um, I think we all just uh, just want to. Uh, uh, wish his uh, his family the the best and uh, and and that's it. Uh, I think it's you know I, in some regards it's probably best that it happened earlier than later. Um, and if the guy's head isn't in it, then his head isn't in it. Like these guys, they all had an opportunity to to opt out. Like that, they were given that right for a reason. Uh, yeah. And I you know you can't criticize a guy for taking you know taking the option that he's given. So. Um, yeah. It seems like he's done. Like I don't, I don't even know the rules. I meant to check this, but I don't think he can come back. Uh, maybe he can. I don't know. Yeah, Cassidy said that he, he didn't like completely close the door on it when he was asked about. It, I think Monday, maybe Sunday. But at the same time, he also said like he didn't really know. I, I don't think the Bruins necessarily, and this is purely a guess, but I wouldn't suspect that they're planning on having him back just because like you got to operate no. with the personnel you have. Right. right, and it's just one of those things too. Like once you're gone, there are so many protocols with the way things are now too. That for you to come back, it just seems like a lot of work. Um, and if the guy needs to be home, feels like he needs to be home, then that's where he's going to probably stay. Like there's a reason he he's doing it. So, um, 
that's pretty much that. Like they're, you know, it's it's a it's a tough blow to lose your number one goalie, a Vezina Trophy winner, Vezina Trophy finalist this year, uh, a guy who was the Conn Smythe winner last year. If the Bruins won the Stanley Cup, probably. Uh, so that's a that's a big loss, obviously for for this team. But I guess if you're looking for a silver lining here, or if you're looking to kind of move forward with positivity, Yaroslav Halak, a has been very good for the Bruins over two years, and B has pretty solid playoff resume. At least he, you know, there's one year, 2010, with the Canadiens where he went on a wild run uh, for them. So he's a guy who is not going to be uh, – it's not like they're putting somebody in there with, you know, limited NHL experience. I think they're in a pretty good spot from goaltending moving forward. Right. Well, and that's kind of the the big thing here is that this is why you went and got Yarrow Halak last year. Right. Last off season, right. It is because, and also I don't think either that the Bruins are in a position where like, you know, a lot of teams right now are for whether it's for injury or performance are playing both of their goalies. Um, and so it's like, it, it's not that far fetched. The, the Bruins might've had to have played Halak in the first place, especially with back to backs on the schedule and things like that. Um, but, yeah, this is why you went and invested in a guy that you can actually trust. and Not because you could predict that Tuka Rask was going to opt out of the bubble and that there would be a global pandemic, but because if things – if you needed to put in your backup for a specific reason, you wanted to make sure you had a guy in there that you trusted. And the Bruins didn't have a guy in the organization at the time who was a prospect but borderline NHL ready. Um, you know, they have Dan Vladar, but nobody's seen him in an NHL game. And so that's probably not the time to roll him out. And so, you know, this is why you went and signed him. So I, there's really not that much to add. Like, I'm not going to speculate about the, the Rask stuff. Um, in terms of pure hockey, like, how far down on the list of top goalies left in the playoffs is Halak? Like, he's probably – top half, right, in terms of goalie ability, especially when you look at the way, like, some of the other guys who would probably be right in that mix, like Bennington, have played. Like, I don't know. this. He's good enough to get hot. And, like, he's good enough to win a Stanley Cup, too. And that's – I think that kind of your point with the goaltending situation is, like, if you have illusions of winning a Stanley Cup, if you want to be a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, you need a guy who can come off the bench and help you do that. Like, and that's where this is, you know, that's why you build this in because you don't want to overinvest in your goalie, your number one goalie, whether financially or just in terms of roster building and have him go down with an injury or something like that and have that, you know, having the lack of a backup be the reason that you don't go to the Stanley Cup final or you don't go on a deep run. And they have set themselves up where they could still do that. Um, probably not as – the odds probably aren't as good because – you know, if they were, Yaroslav Halak would be the starter and Tuka Rask would be the backup. But um, the system is good enough, I think, in my opinion, uh, assuming they stay healthy. Uh, I think, you know, there's enough talent in front of him, both offensively and defensively, to hide any sort of potential shortcomings or, or discrepancy between he and Rask. So, you know, it's not ideal, obviously, but it, they're in as good of a position as they could be. So, you know. He's looked okay through two games, but I also think he'll probably get better as he kind of takes more of the reps and right. just kind of gets into a, a, a groove. So, Yeah, it, it, that'll help. And 
I also think too, I mean, it's not like we've seen the numbers be really like the difference in numbers between the two goalies be miles off. Like in the time that, and, and okay, take sample sizes into account. Like again, Rask has played a little bit more than Halak, but it's not like Halak's numbers were the product of him playing in 10 games and doing well. Right. Um, and, and so you're also not just banking on a guy to catch fire after, you know, it, it's been a little bit of time. Like, it's not – I'm trying to think of an example. It's not like if you had Jimmy Howard, right, and it's like, well, you know, he's washed now, but maybe, just maybe he'll find some form from eight years ago. Like, you know, Halak has recently been a good goalie. And so I think that kind of to your point, like, any shortcomings should be hidden. Like, and to the point where, like, how, we've been watching the Bruins for two years now with Halak as the backup goalie, and it wasn't like – whenever they'd say Rask was getting a night off, you'd be like, well, the defense is really going to have to show up tonight because, you know, they're leaky backup goaltenders. And they're like, that just hasn't been the reality. So I have not gotten the impression at all that the Bruins are even remotely concerned about their goaltending situation so long as Halak's available. Yeah, I just think they're going to have to probably win a few more games than they may have thought in the fashion that they won game four, where it's, you know, I gave up a couple softies, especially the second one, I think. Right. Um, but he stopped them there. Like, that That was that. And Or even if you want to go back to game three, when he literally just gave one away, you know, Marshawn got credit on the bench for saying, it ends here, let's, you know, get going. And, you know, you work your way around those sorts of things. They're good enough to kind of absorb those mistakes when they may happen, knowing that, A, you know, they have enough talent to kind of fight back and be, it's probably out of the system once it happens once. So like, yeah. you know, just keep it manageable and you go from there. And every once in a while, you're going to need a game where you absolutely blitz Craig a team in the third period and you come back and win like they did in game four. But uh, yeah, it's like, you know, for, I think we're just saying the same thing over and over. It's just, it's stellar. Like they'll be okay from that regard. I think, I don't think, Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think Yaroslav Halak is going to be the reason this team gets bounced before winning a Stanley Cup. Right. And you literally took the words out of my mouth that it's like, if their problems will run deeper than the goaltending, I think, if they get bounced, that, you know, if they blow it against Carolina or if they lose down the road. Like, I'm sure your goaltending is always part of the problem or the solution, but it's usually being short sighted if you put things squarely. Yeah, like if Tampa puts them in a vice grip next round or whenever, you know, it's like not a whole lot. Shrug, yeah. Um, all right, let's get to uh, – I guess the next big story is David Pasternak. Um, hasn't played since game one. It looked like he hurt himself celebrating, uh, which could have been – he was already hurt and re-aggravated it. Uh, but he jumped up and down after Patrice Bergeron's goal in double overtime and kind of keeled over in pain before joining the celebration. He hasn't played since then. He's with the team. Clearly, he's not sick. He's been in the arena. He's been with the team at workouts and things like that. He's actually back to the ice. He skated. What's today? Tuesday. <laughs> uh, so he skated Monday, skated Tuesday. Uh, might even, did he skate Sunday, too? Did he practice Sunday? They... Uh, yeah, he did the optional one. Right. right. So he's got to be close. Um, and who knows, maybe by the time Bruce Cassidy talks Wednesday or Tuesday afternoon, he'll announce that he's back in the lineup and this will be a moot point. But um, how do you think they've adjusted to life without David Pasternak through these three games? Pretty good because I think Anders Bjork has been a little overwhelmed. 
Um, and, and I think that might just be matchup stuff. Like it's not often that Bjork's playing against top lines all the time or top defensive pairings. And like, it's tough to be playing most of your minutes with um, Dougie Hamilton and Jacob Slavin on the other side. But I thought when he got that shot on the top line in what was it, the Saturday game, game three, that he just, you know, he had the three penalties. I think two were slashes and one was a trip. Like he just, he looked, he looked a little outmatched and maybe one day he's able to play those like heavy top six minutes. I don't think he's there right now so that the Bruins were still able to get a little bit of productivity um, out of, you know, Bergeron and Marchand in game four. And like Cassidy was right too. Like Bjork looked better in game four than he did game three. But I think the overarching thing here is that, you know, you put a guy who's at best a middle six winger right now in a first line role it hasn't panned out and you're still, you know, dusting the opposition. I think that that bodes well for the Bruins that, okay, they've done a lot of this without Pasternak. Like I'm sure that they'll figure this out now. Um, Yeah. There were times in game four after he got moved back to the third line where he looked, looked really good. Like he looked like, you know, flying all over the place. He clearly was enjoying the benefit of a little bit more open ice, at least, you know, he wasn't being checked as hard as he was, to your point, by, you know, first line D pairing and th- or first uh, first D pairing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So right now he's a third line winger. That is what he is. I I understand the idea of putting him up there though, because it's like, you know, it does theoretically in a perfect world he does complement that line pretty well. Like he, if he could do what he did after he moved down to the third line, but do it with that first line, you know. It, probably open up even more opportunities for Marchand and Bergeron. But, yeah. um, you know, it's easier said than done. Uh, you know, I'm not crazy about moving Coil up to the first line either, but you kind of have to do what you got to do to win a hockey game. And in the long run, or in the long run of one game, it worked. You know, like, yeah. they got going. Uh, that line of, you know, what was it, Bjork, Stanika, and Corrali looked – competent uh you know especially later in that game everybody looked good in the third period so um and I think that's kind of where the tinkering works for Cassidy is like he's better at making chicken salad out of you know what than a lot of coaches are it seems like you know that's where I think he I know you kind of have criticized his over tinkering from time to time but like I think that's where you see where it, it works is when things aren't necessarily going right uh, but he knows which buttons to push and you know Marshawn kind of talked about that uh, last night too. Said he's like one of the smartest coaches he's ever played for. He's got his finger on the pulse, and I think that's one of the things we're coming up with this organization and and having been behind that bench for a few years now. Uh, you know, I think he's just got a really good read on on his on his players, and you know, maybe he breaks glass in case of emergency a little too soon from time to time, but more often than not, it seems to work. So well, and I do think when he's building out his lineup, especially like those final guys in he thinks of it with, uh, okay, if these lines as I'm constructing them in an ideal world don't pan out, do I still have the personnel to make, like, some semblance of a decent lineup so that I'm not stapling half my forwards to the bench? That's a really good point because, like, if Richie's in there last night, you probably – What do you do? Is creative with that. You know, you can't – like, I mean, what is is a line of Richie, Bjork, and Stanika? You know, like – right. Or I don't even know. I mean, that it probably wouldn't work that way considering. They'd probably have to keep Coyle on the third line. You'd probably see, like, Sidnicka go to the first line. I don't 
Yeah, I guess. But but like, if like, if but Rick like, is playing, like, you're probably scratching Stadnicka anyways. I was going to say, it's either Stadnicka or Lindholm gets scratched, and then it's just it's a chain reaction either way. So, yeah, I'd say good point by you. It gives them more versatility there. And that, you know, I guess that's where it really comes into hand is not not in the office, you know, writing out the lineup, but it's, you know, in the second intermission going into the third and be like, this is what we're going to do now. And let's see if we can get a shot in the arm. Well, and I'll say this too. And I wrote this in my takeaways for game three. That is where Par Lindholm is such a valuable piece. Like he's the fact that he can slot in and, you know, he, he only plays center and he only plays when someone's hurt or Cassie's turning the blender on. But like he frees up guys like Coyle and Corrali so much because you're in a pinch if you're scratching Lindholm last night and they're only centers. Yeah, you don't have a center. Right. 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 So you can't do the shifting where like, okay, coil on the first line right wing isn't a long-term move. And you're definitely hurting the back half of your lineup. But for a, as you put it, a break glass in case of emergency situation, they don't get to do that last night without Lindholm still being in there. Yeah. So good move by that. Uh, another roster move that he's made last couple nights. Uh, Connor Clifton drawing in. I like Lausanne's ceiling more than Clifton, but like Clifton has come in and done exactly what has been asked of him. And I mean, I know he right. scored a goal. Like, you know, that's even great. prior to that though. But he runs around like a psychopath, and I think that's exactly what you need in a short series, or you know, either just a series in general. When you need a little bit of energy, they made that move after what was it, after game two. After game um, two, yeah. You know, Cassie was very upfront. He's like, we're making changes on the front end and the back end. And he said, Cliffy's going in and we need a little bit more energy. And I think he's given that to them so far. So Well, and Connor Clifton could have a long career in the NHL doing that, being yeah. your seventh defenseman who you can throw in in that situation. And I think that – and this has been my thought for a while, is that since they switched him, they will probably ride out Clifton there for the rest yeah. of the series. But if they run into Tampa next, it's like, okay, then you're probably going to see Lausanne back there. But I think in terms of a pure spark plug, like, that, that made sense. Like, if Cassie really thought the Bruins looked that listless against the Hurricanes in those first couple of games, then that is a very nice wild card to have. And I do think, too, that, you know, it's been a bumpy year for Clifton. So there's been the injury. Um, and, you know, he, he was in and out of the lineup, especially when John Moore came back. But I think it's been a nice reminder of why he was so – well-liked by the coaching staff last year and why they trusted him in Stanley Cup final games is because like for it just it seemed like over the last two games he's toned down the recklessness a little bit that Marta's game too much like I've said multiple times before I think the Cliffy Hockey name can just be a euphemism for like he's playing out of control but I think he's toned it down a little bit and found a way to like use it for good it is still weird when like the Bruins are on a breakout and all of a sudden it's like Marsha on the left, Bergeron centering, and then Clifton's on the right, like yeah. six strides ahead of the other winger. But like, it works, right? Like him and Grizz like seem to have found a way to figure that out and make it work well enough. Um, so yeah, I, if they keep running into those series where they need to play the energy guys instead of the heavy guys, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of switching of Lausanne and Clifton. It also helps, too, against a team like Carolina, probably with a, a strong forecheck where it's just – Without question, more, yeah. You know, more, a little bit more maneuverability. Um, I had another point on the defense, but I forget. So, uh, no. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, worst case scenario with him too, if he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off, you just staple him. Yeah. You go from there, whatever. Not a big deal. Uh, they're they're good enough on the blue line that uh, you know they can make it work with five uh, D men if they had to. If he's just being a complete liability. So, right. uh, any other takeaways? I think uh, a few things that stand out to me. Second line looks really good now that Andre Kasha has kind of found his way. Uh, I I tweeted this the other night. He he's so much faster than he looks like he should be. Like yeah. He's, a, he's he's quick for a guy who's that thick. Um, Krejci looks like playoff Krejci again, which is wild, especially after you and I were dogging him in a, a text message conversation. Yeah. You're saying it was like with a drop of a hat. He's just – I don't even think we were dogging him. It's like he looks a little slow tonight, and then he ended up – Within eight. seconds. Yeah. It was, so, that's good job by us. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Kasha looks good. Krejci looks good. I think Marshawn is the best player on the Bruins. This is a take that I've had for a while, and I he's just – in the last two games especially, every time he's on the ice, he he dominates for at least 10 seconds, where it's like whether it's skating the puck around the zone by himself, in and out. He had – the Bruins could have scored like six goals last night, and he would have assisted on four of them, where it was like he made a play to Krug, that Krug shot right into Reimer. He made a play to, to Bergeron, where the puck just skidded under his stick. So uh, he's been a just a stud. I mean, that's a con Smythe guy. If I had a few extra shekels, I'd be looking at him long term because I think it's just going to continue so those are my takeaways what do you got anything I I've liked Stanika in the lineup and yeah. like, a lot of the reason that idea gave me pause is because he is just a real thin guy yeah. like he, he has some filling out to do and so I thought that might not bode well for him I don't think you necessarily can play him against Tampa I do think that's where like oh no way yeah. I think that's where the Nick Ritchie thing comes back into play but, like, it's similar to Clifton, honestly, where it's like, you know, he's, he's shifty. Um, it, it, he just – I've been pleasantly surprised. I don't think Stanick has looked lost. And he's looked respectable, too, in the defensive zone also. Like, I think that was part of the concern yeah. as well. That's like, well, if he's not being creative offensively, then what's he really doing for you? But I don't think he's been much of a liability right now. I, you know, uh, I mean, if he's not getting teed up along the boards, he usually makes a good decision with the puck. Like, that's right. – that checks out like the hockey IQ thing. He, even if he finds himself in a position that looks relatively perilous in the middle of the ice, he's going to make the smart pass or whatever. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was curious to see with him is because, you know, the way he's able to dance around the ice in the AHL, you know, you can do, if you're a skilled player like that, you can do a lot of things in the AHL that you can't do in the NHL. Um, but so far that's translate, unless you are like an exceptional town, a Brad Marchand type, if you will. Yeah. Um, but he, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't gotten himself pasted yet in open ice or anything like that, which I think you could probably classify as a success for him. So, um, also pleasantly surprised to see Charlie McAvoy look like a number one D man night in and night out, which like has been his ceiling, obviously we've seen it at times, but it does feel like he's only elevated his game to another level. He's averaging, I'm looking at it right now. He's averaging more than 26 and a half minutes per night. He's just been yeah, – He's been a horse. He's been a horse, yeah. Um, and he's making smart plays that don't necessarily stand out. He's also making big plays that do. Like, I think, you know, the the DeBrusque goal got the Bruins back into game four, but clearly the hallmark moment from that game was the Charlie McAvoy hit. So, right. um, you know, it just looks really good. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. So that's that's encouraging for the Bruins. Anything else, Logan? No, 
Fourth line's been good. Fourth line's yeah. been good. It's been, yeah, they've been really good. But, uh, you know, this is what it is. I mean, that was big for them last year. So, I think that stability is good. And, again, not to keep harping on the Lindholm thing, but the fact that they can just plug him right in and go running away is promising, I think, if you're Bruce Cassidy. Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it does look like a second-round matchup of the Lightning is looming, um, which is me admittedly putting dirt on Carolina, Columbus, and Washington. Washington. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there could be a comeback, but if things stand still, we're going to have Bruins uh, Lightning in the second round and Islanders uh, Philly. So, who knows? It'll be fun. Yeah, I tell seven you what. Huh? I, I need seven games of Bruins life. I know. Uh, I, I need it like I need air. It's a little early, but maybe it'll be better with them staying in Toronto. Maybe once they move to Edmonton for the conference finals, it wouldn't be as good. I don't know. Making up stuff here. But um, I'm looking forward to that. That's what we do get. But uh, stranger things have happened. Go back to 2010. So this thing is not done until it's done. But uh, Bruins should be feeling pretty good about themselves. So. Uh, you and I will reconvene at some point. We don't really know when, but uh, we're kind of playing it by ear. But if the Bruins do reach uh, the second round, we'll probably be back to preview that against whoever they may play. So I look forward to it. Love that. Cool. All right, Logan. Uh, that's Logan. I'm Mike. This has been the Nestle Bruins Podcast. We'll be back again soon to discuss all of the wonderful world of Bruins hockey. See you then.